With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. SI Boxing Podcast on this episode. We've got a great conversation with Evan Rutkowski, who many of you have heard on this podcast before when I get into the business of boxing. Evan is a former HBO marketing executive. Now, he is the new director of boxing for Ring City, which has a new deal with NBC Sports Network. Their first fight comes up on November 19th. I talked to Evan about what his plans are for this platform, how he can make it sustainable, and just what kind of fights we can expect to see in NBC's return to the boxing space. Because it is, Evan, I do have to get into the biggest news of the week, which is a potential return for Canelo Alvarez to DAZN. Canelo, of course, famously last week got out of his contract with Golden Boy, got out of his contract with DAZN. We did a whole emergency podcast on it last week. Now, the news is that Eddie Hearn who has a deal with the streaming service, is negotiating a fight for Canelo Alvarez against Callum Smith. And that could eventually lead, perhaps, to the showdown we've all been wanting, which is a fight with Gennady Golovkin at some point next year. So talk to Evan about all the moving parts with all this. A little bit later on, Katie Taylor, one of the biggest stars in women's boxing. She returns for the second time in three months, defending her undisputed lightweight championship. I talked to Katie about uh, the last few months for her, and we run down the list of the marketable 2021 opponents, from Amanda Serrano to Chris Cyborg to Clarissa Shields. What interest, Katie Taylor? I get into all that more with one of the biggest stars in women's boxing. Before I get to Evan, I do want to touch on the fight coming up this weekend between Kell Brook and and Terrence Crawford. This is Crawford's uh, defense of his 147-pound title. Uh, Kell Brook is a pretty known name in the boxing space. Is he a significant threat? I, I don't know. I-, I just don't see it. I mean, Kell, at one point, was a formidable opponent, but that was back in 2016, before he had his face broken by Gennady Golovkin, or in 2017, when he had 
his face broken again by Errol Spence. That was kind of the peak of the Kelbrook power. Now, he's 34 years old. He's been relatively inactive over the last few years. He's had some low-level wins, most recently over Mark DeLuca back in February of this year. It's a name. You know the name Kelbrook. I just don't know if he's going to be able to present any kind of challenge, especially when he's going to be shrinking back down to welterweight for this fight. I mean, Kelbrook was having problems making the 147-pound weight class all the way back in, like, 2017. He wanted to be 154-pounder. To his credit, this fight came along. He said he could make the weight. He took the fight. But I'm wondering, coming into this, you know, just what kind of Kelbrook are we going to see? If he got knocked out by Errol Spence back in 2017... What's he going to do against Terrence Crawford? So for me, this fight is about Crawford getting wind under his belt and then wondering what's next. I mean, when are we going to get the showdown between Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr.? I mean, Spence returns after that horrific car accident in December. If he looks like the same Errol Spence against Danny Garcia, there's no reason for that fight not to happen in the first half of 2021. You've got Texas starting to open up. Spence is a Dallas area native. You can bring that fight to Cowboy Stadium and be able to put a decent crowd into it. So the pandemic isn't a huge issue for that fight. It's on pay-per-view. It would have to be between Fox and ESPN, given the current promotional agreements. But that's been done before, too. We just did it less than a year ago with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. So, look, I'll watch the Kell Brook-Terrence Crawford fight, but... I'm not expecting a ton from Kell Brook in this fight. I just, I have low expectations. What I'm looking for is for Crawford to look spectacular and for Crawford to insist after the fight that Errol Spence be next. I don't love some of the things I've heard Terrence Crawford say recently, specifically that his career maybe wouldn't be marred by not fighting Errol Spence. Of course it will be. Of course it will be. You don't fight Errol Spence it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not, it's not good. It's not good if you're Terrence Crawford. So you got to push hard. Errol Spence too. I mean, that fight needs to happen in the first half of 2021. It is marinated long enough. Didn't need to marinate this long, but it is certainly marinated long enough. People need to get into a room and make that fight happen. So Crawford, Brooke, ESPN, that's happening this weekend. Crawford's a huge star. One of the top pound for pound guys in the sport. And Brooke will try to prove people like me wrong. Good luck. I don't necessarily see it happening because Terrence Crawford is uh, is great, to put it mildly. All right. Coming up next, my conversation with Evan Rutkowski. So you have heard Evan Rutkowski on this podcast before in his capacity as a former HBO marketing executive. He has now added a new title to his resume. He's the head of boxing for Ring City, the newly formed boxing platform that will bring boxing back to NBC Sports Network. Ring City's first show will be on November 19th on a card headlined by Oshaki Foster and Miguel Roman. Just this week, Ring City announced shows on December 3rd and December 17th. All of these shows will take place in Hollywood, California, inside the walls of Freddie Roach's famed wildcard boxing gym. Talk about that and maybe a couple of business of boxing topics. We always got to go that direction. Is Evan Rutkowski back here on the show? Evan, what's up, my friend? Oh, this is this is my return to everything. My 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 show ended. I'm back. I love it. I love it. You you're gonna have to change like your Twitter account name, right? Because you're no longer a podcast. You're something else. 
what I made a conscious decision to just not go on to Twitter, especially as we were making these fights for Ring City, because I just was like, all right, I'm this. I don't want. I just don't even want to be in that negative headspace. I just want to be like we're gonna make the matchups that we feel are good, and I don't want to read rumors about somebody or or opinions from people. I, I just want to go for it. So um, I will eventually get to that. Yes, now, now I, will, I will get I, back I, on Twitter. <laughs> I, I would. Well, don't rush back. It's it's <laughs> it's not a. It's not a. I, I'll I'll tell you something. My my producer on the zone, John McCormick. We were in South Florida a couple of weeks back and he says to me, he goes, one of my favorite activities after fights is to, sc- is to put your name in the search bar, me, and sc- <laughs> see what people are saying about you. He's like, the good news is they don't think you're bad. They just think you're wrong about everything. So like, it's, 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 not a, it's not a good place to be. If you could be off Twitter, I would recommend staying off Twitter. Just... Just my two cents on that one. Um, all right, so Ring City, walk me through how this platform was put together. Well, we I think we felt there was space in the marketplace for midweek boxing, and we're going Thursday nights. Uh, we felt that there was an opening to make competitive fights with the with all the boxing promoters who don't have network deals that are exclusive or even network deals. I mean, Golden Boy doesn't have an, you know, they aren't the only uh, promoter on DAZN, but we just felt like there was a huge space there to, to do this. And uh, NBC agreed. And that, and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're on there. We, you know, we, we felt like uh, if you take a lot of these promoters and, and take their fighters and match them up against each other where that, you know, where they don't necessarily control the whole card, you can make really, really competitive fights. And, you know, we aren't paying the money that ESPN or Fox or Showtime or DAZN can pay at the very top. But I still think we're creating a great opportunity for, for fighters and, and fighters on these levels. I think it's, it's multiple things. Like, first of all, it's, the, the advantages are, are huge. They they can you're in a main event or you're in a co-main event for the first time. So this is going to be sometimes it's just as simple as understanding what it's like to wait for all the other to not be on the fourth or fifth undercard um, fighting against an opponent that you probably have a good idea that you're going to beat. It's it's no you're you're waiting for the rest of the card to go through. You're waiting for your turn. You're doing interviews. You're doing press. You're having material. Uh, you know shot on on you where you know you're the focus of, of the attention and everything and i think it's a good process to go through and you know ultimately what we want to do for these fighters is we want to add zeros to their next paychecks like w- we think that's possible these are you know these can be great crossroads matchups where the winner can go on and and fight at tier one and we're not taking options on any of these fighters we i think this proves our thesis if they go on and actually show that they can gain experience here and and win these tough fights, they can go on and and fight at the top level. And I think a lot of the talent that we have can win at the top level. So I I think I mean that's that's basically how this came together. So I love the idea, especially fighting on weekdays. I I never understood why everyone was so wed to Saturdays, especially when. Oftentimes they'd be going up against like two other networks with a similar product. It never, never made any sense. In fact, DAZN is actually 
you know, done less and less of that. They've gone Fridays a lot and, you know, stayed away from the traditional Saturday date. So I, I love the weekday uh, idea. I also love the concept of the series in part, Evan, because I feel like I was once part of it. Like, you know, you go back, you know, seven years ago and what main events did with NBC Sports Network and putting on a series that accomplished in a way what you're talking about trying to accomplish. They were a feeder system to HBO at that time, even Showtime at that time, with the likes of Sergey Kovalev or Curtis Stevens or Gabe Rosado, just to name uh, a few of those guys. Uh, they did that, but they still didn't last on NBC Sports there. They did a few years, and I thought the shows were were pretty good, but ultimately it kind of fizzled out. How, how are you different? Like, what is there a difference between what you're doing on NBC and what main events did on NBC? Well, first of all, we're we're willing to work with all promoters, and we are not a promoter. And I don't. I think that's a nuance that may not matter to some, but it. it and it, quite frankly, I don't think it matters if we actually, you know, if if there is a conversation where we're you know, if you call us a promoter or not, like, I don't, I don't really care if you label us that I know there's a, you know, in PBC, that's a touchy subject, um, because they are technically not a promoter. We view ourselves more as, as a content company. Like we're, we are a platform for content. Like we, uh, are going to create a lot of the content. Um, and we include shoulder programming, um, or our version of shoulder programming as part of that content. And by creating a brand that way, we think we can last. I mean, I think most promoters, you know, view the content as the fights and they should and that's because in historically hbo and showtime have created the shoulder content but we're in a different era now and we feel that uh, a lot of the shoulder content i mean obviously part of the challenge for us is to not spend the same kind of money that hbo and showtime have done on creating their excellent uh content um and 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 you know and fox and espn have gotten into that too but we feel like that can help build the fighters and build our brand. And I think that's one of the main differentiating factors here. Um, you know, that, you know, we are not technically a, a promoter. So that, that, I think that's a huge factor. How would you describe the relationship with NBC? When, when main events had their series, NBC was paying them, basically. When PBC had its series, it was a time buy. How would you describe your relationship with NBC? We have a, a pretty creative partnership uh, with NBC that I think I think a lot of um, you're you're talking about two buckets that made sense in five or ten years ago. I think, and I think almost every new sports entity that comes into the realm at, at this point, and it, it doesn't have to be boxing, um, it's going to be some kind of partnership um, that might have elements of both. Uh, but is really neither. Um, obviously, the major traditional sports are all going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get paid, a, a, you know, many times a huge license fee. Uh, but if you look at the way that a lot of the, you know, the NFL and basketball, you know, NBA and, and golf are structured, they create their own content as well. Like they view themselves as a true content, uh, you know, platform for, you know, for lack of a better term, they might use a different term for it but that's that's what they're doing and so um we're trying to model ourselves you know that way you know in a sense i guess do you see yourself as you know showbox is probably the closest thing now that hbo boxing after dark is gone and and 
several of the similar type platforms are gone. Do you, do you look at Showbox as being like the competitor in this, the, as, you know, the kind of the, the, the whatever you want to call it, what, what you're going up against? Well, Showbox still gives out dates to promoters for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think we would probably view ourselves as right now, you know, somewhere in between that and, and just slightly different. Um, but the goal is to uh, expand. So, so we do, you know, there is a clear distinction between what we're doing and what they're doing, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully that becomes clear in, in 2021, I would guess. Uh, mm. But, you know, that that's, yeah, I mean, obviously, this has been done before, you know, a version of this has been done before with Tuesday Night Fights, a version of this has been done before with Friday Night Fights, um, and a version of this is, is you know, Showbox is another version of this, but like, uh, you know, we're not, we don't look at ourselves as it's going to be one promoter that goes to an Indian casino or something like that. And, and, and you know, like we, if we're going to, you know, post COVID, we'd want to do this where we go to places that don't normally uh, see boxing and all the time and, 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 you know, truly build out places where we know there are rabid fan bases and, and they would love to have us come. So that I think we look at it more that way. The, the key with, with everything, of course, is going to be matchmaking because it, it really doesn't matter what the records a guy has. It, it doesn't. I mean, I saw that with, with NBC, with what they did with Curtis and, and Rosado, I think is a better example because he you know, rose to like the number one, the 154 rankings, and then got a Golovkin shot um, in part because of his style. It wasn't his record. It was his style and, and how he fought. Um, matchmaking is difficult. Like you... You deal with promoters, and sometimes you can't trust promoters because who knows what what they're doing there. Like, uh, how do you? You're the director of boxing. Like, do you have final say over these fights? How does the matchmaking work at Ring City? So we, I mean, we try to do our due diligence. The fight team is is myself and and Kurt Emhoff and Sam Kekowski. And uh, our basic rule is if two out of the three of us agree that this is a great fight and we should do it. We kind of do it, but yeah, I'm the head of boxing. Um, and ultimately, you know, the matchmaking is extremely important and we've, I think we all agree on a couple major principles. And one is we want to destigmify the loss. Like we don't really care about, you know, we do have undefeated fighters, uh, in our main events and in, in some of our co-main events, but First of all, we like matching them up against each other, and we don't really care if they're undefeated or not. We just want to see great stylistic matchups, and we also want to learn a lot about these fighters. I think, you know, uh, look, I mean, obviously, destigmifying the loss. I mean, our first main event is, I think we have 15 combined losses, you know, between Mm -hmm. Mickey Roman and, and Oshaki Foster. Um, but we think it's a great stylistic matchup, and we think the stakes are high because, the winner will likely, you know, put themselves in position uh, for a big time fight at that weight class. Um, you know, Sergey Bo- uh, Sergey Boachuk and Brandon Adams on December third. I mean, Boachuk's undefeated but not truly tested, and Adams is going to be by far his biggest test. And Brandon Adams, you know, yeah, he did get shut out by Charlo, but that loss looks a lot better in hindsight. Um, and he's got, you know, he's a very tricky fighter and he's really tough. And I think he's you know, he can easily win that fight and he would go on to a much bigger payday if he did. So, uh, and then, and December 17th, I think it's the same, you know, it is two undefeated guys. It's Ashkaev and, and Charles Conwell, but, um, you know, the, these are 
all these matchups are different promoters um, bringing top guys together. And if they win, they're one or two fights away from really stepping it up and being in a big time fight on, you know, Saturday night for ESPN or Fox or Showtime or DAZN. I mean, we've worked with Lou DiBella. We've worked with uh, Tom Loeffler, Kathy Duva. Uh, we've worked with Osvaldo Kukle. Um, I've, I've worked with my old boss, Mark Taffet, uh, on, on, yeah, some of these, um, you know, we've, we've worked with, uh, Golden Boy has a fighter on our first card. We, you know, we've worked with lots of promoters throughout this process. Um, I'm, you know, forgive me if I've missed someone along the way, <laughs> uh, but that's, I think when you're, if you're able to do that and, and match up you know, a lot of these people through different promoters, uh, stables, then it is, it, you can create good matchups. Now that, to your point, that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work. And I can sit here and tell you that it's been really hard, (laughs) really hard work. Um, but I think it's worth it if you can create good matchups. I mean, you know, if, if next year we're just, you know, we're doing fights, that are 50 to one odds in our main events, you know, I, by all means, criticize us. I, I, mm. you know, we, we hope, you know, we hope not to be heading down that path, you know, so that's, I think that, you know, to the matchmaking, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but it, you know, we're all working on it. And, uh, we think we have pretty good matchups right here and, and we hope for better matchups in 2021. So, you put a lot of time into this, a lot of effort into this. There's a lot of money that goes into this. Clearly, you want to be in this for the long term. Like, what? What? Def- what's the definition of success? What does success look like for this project? I think if we can build a brand, um, I think having a, a sponsor-friendly brand is something where we, you know, we've seen in the marketplace that that's an area where boxing can really improve. Um, I think that's really for us something that we want to go after. And, and I think there's a lot of great stories you can tell in boxing that are sponsor friendly. Um, so that's one of the things we're working on. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're creating uh, this content that, you know, there's other parts of our, of our business plan that we, well, let me ask you, why, why is, why is sponsors, because it is, why are sponsors such a challenge for boxing? Because this is something I ran into with main events, you know, seven years ago, finding sponsors there. Why is that such a challenge for boxing? Well, it, I mean, a lot of it's due to my former employer. I mean, HBO has no sponsors on, you know, involved in the company, and they were the gold standard for boxing for a long time. And I think towards the end, you know, Showtime was a very worthy uh, challenger, especially. Um, and they also don't, I mean, they're part of a larger corporation that is more familiar with sponsors uh, but you know pay the pay cable universe um, is just not a great place to go with for sponsors it just isn't you know um, you're not allowed to have it on the, the broadcast it makes it harder to package and, and sell sponsors uh, on a week in week out basis with promoters especially if they you know if they know that um, it, it you know it basically it became a, a one night stand business. And, and a lot of that is surrounding the, the pay-per-view universe. And we think if there's more continuity uh, that, and, and you're able to invest in um, telling these stories and making sure uh, that they are sponsor friendly and there's ways to integrate the sponsors into 
your programming, uh, that, you know, that's, that's part of it. I mean, obviously we are, you know, we're, we're brand new and we're just starting. So, you know, we're, we're not there yet, but that's part of our long-term plan for sure. And, and that's, I, you know, I, I think this is something that it's easy to point the finger at everybody in boxing, like, you know, but I don't think this is something that is the fault of promoters or anything like that. This is just, this is more on HBO. Like it just, it's, it became very difficult uh, to do that. And so, and that changed the way that a lot of uh, promoters had relationships with sponsors. And and I don't think they should be faulted for that. So, you know, what boxing Twitter is like, what boxing media can be like the second your show ends People are looking for ratings. They're looking for numbers. They're looking for, you know, uh, you're calling for pay-per-view buy. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, everybody wants numbers. Everybody's fixated on numbers. How much does that matter to you, especially early on? And what are your expectations for for this series? Well, ratings matter. We also, uh, we we have other parts uh in order to amplify our message we have we have other parts of of it besides just a broadcast we you know some of which hasn't been announced yet and i can't really go into it but um it will be announced soon and and uh we have a we have a streaming deal that we will likely announce uh shortly uh we have other ways of using the newer digital media to sort of amplify our message uh and get more attention for sponsors, but yeah, ultimately in terms of specifically our relationship with NBC, the ratings matter and we are, you know, we, we hope to have great ratings and NBC has been great in terms of promoting a lot of our, you know, upcoming fights so far that that's already started. Uh, and how, how have they done that? Like that, that's always key, right? Like we dealt with this with, you know, Fox and ESPN promoting the daylights out of, Fury versus Wilder. Like, how has NBC been useful in this respect? Well, so, it, I mean, they have a lot of programming, especially on NBC Sportsnet, that is a good crossover in terms of the likely viewer. I mean, English Premier League is a great example. And we've created uh, tune in, you know, television ads that they've, you know, put all over NBC Sportsnet. I mean, that's that's been the primary driver of this kind of stuff. But obviously, they have social media and other other assets that they can use to help out. Um, but they've been great as far as that. And so, and I mean, we, you know, part of that is on us to create some of this content, but part of that is on them to promote it. And, you know, they've, they've been very helpful. So that's part of it. I mean, obviously we need to build up our own social channels so we can promote it ourselves. And, you know, we're relying on uh, promoters who already have established social media channels to promote fights where they have a fighter in the main event or co-main. And, and you know, uh, th- th- so far, a lot of them have been helpful, especially amplifying any kind of content we've done uh, involving their fighters. You touched on this at the top, but the- these fights are going to be held at Wildcard, Freddie Roach's gym in Hollywood. Tell me about that decision. I assume that was largely pandemic-related. Uh, I mean, you're not going to put fans in Freddie's gym, though you'll certainly have some interesting characters if you allow them to hang out in there. But the, like the, using Freddie's gym, talk to me about how that came about. Well, we wanted to, once COVID happened, we wanted to get, I mean, the theme of what we're talking about here is getting back to the roots of boxing. And we felt like an excellent creative pivot was to do it at gyms like this. And, and 
what better gym to start out with than, you know, Freddie's iconic wildcard gym. We're actually doing it in the parking lot um, rather than inside the gym. I think that'll create a, a, an easier environment to uh, do the broadcast. Uh, but, you know, the, I think when you think about where these fighters that we're broadcasting are coming from and how they've they've come up like the the gym like that is is a critical part of the narrative um and they're you know we're we're broadcasting fighters on thursday nights who we think can get ready for saturday night big saturday night fights but they're not there yet they're on thursday nights and they're still coming from the gym and they're still hungry and i think that's thematically uh, an important part of, of what we're talking about here. Don't mess with Marie Spivey in that gym. She'll don't, don't mess with her. She'll, she'll slap you back. If you're, uh, if you're messing with her gym in that place, it's an inside boxing line for, for people that people that know it. Um, one of the thing on the series, you, you want it to be on during the week, Thursday, interesting day in the fall, which right now you're potentially going up against good Thursday night football games. Now, I don't like to get into the debate of, well, you know, we're going up against this. Like, this is what promoters on Saturdays always say. Like, oh, God, we had Alabama versus this. Well, there's always something going up against. Always, whether it's football, basketball, good baseball, whatever. Uh, why Thursday? Why did that make the most sense for this series? Well, when you t- I mean, first of all, when you talk about midweek, you're really talking about three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And mm-hmm. as, you know, as we were talking with NBC, it became pretty clear that, even though there was Thursday night football in the fall, look, that's 16 or 17 weeks out of the year. And, you know, like you said, like you're always going up against something. I mean, our product is definitely, you know, geared towards core boxing fans and, you know, we think they will tune in. So um, I, I looked at it as, you know, this made the most sense for us and NBC. They obviously have NHL going for a large portion of the year, which is Wednesday nights. And, and we were looking at other, you know, when, when in, in a larger, when, when we were, before we honed in on, on NBC, um, you know, we were looking at other nights, but I think just in, in, in partnership with them, Thursday made the most sense. And I think it makes the most sense throughout the year um, for a couple other reasons that are probably not too interesting to your viewers, but (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, you're, you're always gonna have to compete with something. And I think if you're the biggest, if you're a big pay-per-view fight, you need to make sure that you're staking, you know, planting your flag in the ground and, and, and trying to make sure you're free and clear of obvious conflicts, but everything else, like you said, you just, you just kind of have to go with it. Like, here's the product We're, we're going for a certain segment of the audience and that's what it is. How have you found your financial constraints working for stuff like this? Like you've made, you know, fights for three shows. Um, has it, have you had, I mean, you always want promoters that want to want more money, but like, has it, how has the process been working with these promoters and them understanding like, this is the budget. Uh, this is what we can give you. Uh, let's make something work because I mean, look, you know, I'm sure the, I'm sure these other promoters are looking at, you know, whether it's, Zone or PBC are saying, you know, who's got more money? Like, can Charles Conwell fight on somebody's undercard and, and make more money? How, how have you found the, the finances of all this early on? Well, I, I mean, we've been helped by the fact that there aren't a ton of 
other options. I mean, Lance Pugmire wrote a great article about this in The Athletic. Uh, I think ESPN had an article about it as well, where life is just very tough for smaller promoters. So um, mm. that has made some of this easier. But it, I don't, there hasn't been much confusion over what we're doing or what this is, especially after we got started with promoters. It's kind of like, you know, we care about a matchup. And we think certain fighters are right for the platform, but if they're not and they price themselves out, that's okay. Then, you know, we're not a match right now and maybe we are later or, you know, maybe you have some other fighters that are a match, but if, if you're not willing to go in tough and you want more money than what we're offering, we don't, we're not HBO. We, we don't have a ton of money. So if, if you, if your asking price gets to a certain point, it's kind of like, okay, well, it's time to move on. Um, and in a lot of ways, that just makes it easier, you know, it, it because there's no love lost. I mean, we're, you know, um, we're not offended by it. And I don't think other promoters are either um, in terms of when we canvass all the promoters that are out there. Like, I think they just kind of get it. It's kind of like, OK, like you kind of know what what it is. You know, you know, you know how far we can go. Um, we hope to if our business plan proves out, we hope to be able to go further uh, but right now we, we can't. So <laughs> it's, hmm. the price is the price, you know, and, and right, we still, right. we want this kind of level matchup. And if it's not that competitive, then we're just going to move on and find two other fighters who will be competitive and we'll take the money. Well, I do love the idea of a prospect series where, you know, guys are to your point where guys are in the main event. I think there's, there's, there is more value in a guy fighting, as a main event as opposed to being like the sixth fight on a bout sheet on a major broadcast like just it just is and i know as you know a lot of promoters share that opinion that there's just a much higher value in in doing that they get more out of it in doing that for all the reasons you kind of articulated it and look it's it's people have tried to do it in various forms and you were at hbo when or you remember the time when it's like, all right, we're going to give all these promoters like, was it a million dollars each? And you're going to do small shows. And that thing fizzled before it even, before Ross Greenberg's chair was cold. And it, it, you know, the whole thing just changed and NBC did it before and Showbox and stuff like that. I think if it's done well, I do think there's, uh, there's a marketplace for it. Yeah. And, and, and that's not to say it's, it's not a big challenge. It is a big challenge. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's no question about it, but we're, you know, as a group, we're up for it and we're trying it. And, you know, we, we think that right now there is definitely a place, uh, in the market for it. And, you know, we hope people tune in and watch and, and we hope they're good fights. I think, I, I, I think they are good fights personally. Um, I think, you know, I think some of them are going to be great fights, but, um, you know, that that's to be seen, you know, our, our product is, uh, is, is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. You'll see the first three shows and, and, you know, I hope people agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's boxing. You're, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're three Twitter person. to find out if they don't. <laughs> <laughs> plus, and plus your, that's boxing. Your, your three person decision team will be fighting amongst each other by February. And, you know, Lou, De, Lou is probably going to have Sam Krakowski in a chokehold at some point, you know, outside the, like, you screwed me on Regis, you little shit. That's that's that's, that's gonna that's, more inside boxing stuff for people that are deep deep in the weeds uh, listening to this show. All right, I need you now to take off your Ring City hat and put back the put the Fishinados podcast guy hat back on for a second because I got to talk to you about Canelo because this has been a wild week for Canelo. You had the start of the week, yeah, Canelo 
Eddie Reynoso announcing they were free agents. DAZN, Golden Boy, announcing that there was a separation agreement. The lawsuit uh, has been settled. Canelo is out there as a free agent. And lo and behold, in the last couple of days, you've got reports. Mike Coppinger was first on it. Uh, and I can independently confirm this, that Eddie Hearn is talking to Eddie Reynoso about bringing Canelo back to DAZN. I'll tell you, Evan, I on my emergency podcast last week when this all broke, I kind of alluded to this. I brought this up to Keith Eidek. I said... Hey, man, like, do you think that Canelo and DAZN could work together? Because I don't think Canelo's as pissed at DAZN as he is at Golden Boy. And look, nothing's done by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that Eddie Hearn's gaining any kind of traction in these talks tells me that Canelo is willing to work with, uh, with DAZN once again. Uh, not in a long-term deal, at least not for right now, but at least in this upcoming fight. What have you made of, of everything you've seen over the last seven days? I, I mean, oh boy, there's a lot to unpack here. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is um, you know, it, it's, uh, where I think where I'd start is Canelo. I mean, he clearly wanted to sever the relationship with Golden Boy. That that was clear, and now he wants to go fight by fight. And I think, and and it's it, he's kind of compared, you know, or, or it's been compared to the Floyd Mayweather model. And I think. There's one distinct difference here between what Canelo is attempting to do and what Floyd has done. Floyd always did kind of go fight to fight in terms of every aspect of what he was doing once he became a commercial star, except for one really important aspect, which is Floyd was married to a network. Like Floyd had a long-term agreement with HBO, and then he had a long-term agreement with Showtime. And that made life a lot easier to go fight to fight on every other detail. Uh, coming from the network side, it's just never going to be in a network's best interest to offer a really lucrative short-term deal, um, especially on short notice for some of these things. Like, you know, it, it, I mean, December 19th, back when it was looking like it was Caleb Plant on pay-per-view, it, I mean, it was kind of easy to see through that because, well, if you're Fox and ESPN, you've kind of already shot down December 19th. You basically said you didn't want the heavyweight, uh, the Wilder Fury fight on that date uh, because you have so much other programming on it. That made it seem like Showtime was the best destination. But Showtime, I mean, we're five or six weeks out or, you know, I think we're what maybe even are we less than six? I think we're five and a half weeks out or something like that yeah. right now as we're recording. And that's not nearly enough time to promote a pay-per-view, especially you know, I mean, Caleb Plant is an incredible story, but not a super well-known guy to the general public. And you're going to have to have enough time to tell his story as part of selling that pay-per-view fight, because in the ring, that's probably a really good fight. Like Caleb Plant, um, although he hasn't fought a ton of great competition yet, he has shown so far that he probably could give Canelo trouble in the ring. And um, so it's almost like that's, a very sort of early in, earlier in Canelo's career, that's like a very Aris Landi Lara type fight where you're taking on a lot of risk and you're probably not going to get a ton of pay-per-view buys. And as someone who's had to maximize pay-per-view buys before, you're not given, you know, your marketing team a lot of time to do the things they would normally do to go out and do that. And I mean, I do feel like Showtime would have been really well equipped to uh, maximize buys on a Caleb Plant type of fight, but they don't have the security of a long-term deal. 
And so it just creates all these different factors, none of which really add up to Canelo getting the deal that he want that he that he wanted out of this. So of course it makes sense that he's coming back to DAZN. Um, and DAZN is benefiting from this because they don't have to pay him the money that they were paying him on his previous contract, and they still might get the same fight that they were talking about making. It's like it's <laughs> it's kind of bizarre world. Um and it's you know, you can someone like me can nerd out on this all day and, and talk about all the ramifications of it and just keep going. But you can talk yourself into circles here. And and then there's the zones worldwide launch that is semi part of this as well. I mean, there, there's just, there's so many different things happening. Um, what we know is clear is, is Canelo doesn't want to work with golden boy and uh, Canelo wants to fight this year. And sometimes I wonder it might make more sense to fight just very early on in January. It's only a couple extra weeks, but you know, it, you you look on the calendar and he hasn't fought yet this year. I mean, I, I I do understand his desire to get into the ring quickly, but there's all these different factors at play. You know, I, I think Canelo still could be. I mean, he would, you know, he would be the top pay per view star if he went back to pay per view. Uh, and, and, and I, I actually, I mean, I think Showtime would make a ton of sense, but Showtime, why would Showtime do it unless they get a long-term deal out of it? It, does, it doesn't make any sense for them unless they get the security of that long-term deal where, where they can uh, focus on Canelo for multiple fights. And, you know, but you can, you can really go crazy on this from the DAZN side because <laughs> it, if you do Callum Smith and you win, I mean, it might make sense to then go straight to Golovkin, especially if DAZN is offering enough money and they can make that fight happen, and you're, all of a sudden you're like, "How are you doing two fights in a row with DAZN, even though you had a long-term deal and then didn't have it?" You know, and that may be very beneficial for DAZN as they do their worldwide launch. I mean, obviously, as you launch worldwide, it makes a lot of sense to do it with Canelo and Anthony Joshua, not without them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think. I mean. It, it's so wild. Like, it's just, it's just, it's done like a complete 180 in the last in the last five or six days. But if you're Canelo, and you can tell me about the, the, the math here, like, if DeZone's willing to pay, and this is what was reported, you know, 20 million plus upside on December 19th, is anybody really else going to guarantee that on pay-per-view? Like, is that, you can tell me the numbers, like, that, that seems like his best financial option if he wants to go December 19th. If he just wants one fight, I think that's clearly his best option. I mean, I, if, you know, I'm sure PBC, you know, you, you look at, you look at PBC at 168 pounds and, you know, like some combination of Caleb Plant, David Benavidez and Charlo. I mean, that's three really strong fights. But of course, if you're PBC, you want to get Canelo probably for three fights because mm-hmm. you, you don't want to do one fight because why would you, you know, you want to make sure that if that you either have the established star or that you get the next established star out of it and you need three fights to make sure that happens. Um, so just in, you know, that and that's where I think when I go back to the difference between what Floyd is doing or what Floyd did and what Canelo is doing, you know, you're not necessarily maximizing your earnings by going fight by fight with a network. I think, I think that's one of the key differentiators here. Um, whereas every other, in every other aspect of it, you can, uh, maximize your earnings by going fight by fight and, and, and by making sure that you create the best deal possible, you know, for you. I mean, Al Heyman did this 
you know, incredibly well with Floyd. Um, but you need the security of knowing that your network's going to be behind you. Um, and what, what ends up happening is you're seeing this as networks bid on the fight time, you lose time and time is extremely important in selling a fight of this magnitude. It just, it just is. So, um, even if you don't know who the opponent is, if you're a network, but you know, you have Canelo's next fight, that's a huge advantage. That's a huge advantage. Look, if if you're Canelo, this is just how I kind of look at the landscape. If you're Canelo, look, the, you're a free agent. This is what you are. You don't have a network deal anywhere right now. It almost makes sense to do a two-fight deal with Eddie. You do a two-fight deal with Eddie. You get your $20 million for whoever you fight, Callum Smith. And we both know, Evan, that DeZone will pay through the teeth to get him in the ring with Golovkin. That hasn't changed. Like, that has not changed. That is still a fact. So maybe short-term, you do a two-fight deal with Eddie. You make, like... I don't know, seventy million, whatever it is, whatever amount of money you're you're making off of that, and then like Showtime, I think PBC would still be there, like especially if you beat Golovkin, you're a bigger star if you beat Golovkin on the third time, and then you can go into the Charlo Plant, whatever they've got, Benavidez on that side of the street, sign a long term deal there. I mean, there still would probably be a conversation you'd have uh, with Eddie again because there's the Saunders and there's a couple of the guys he's got there, you know. The, the, but the PBC in a long term deal makes more sense. But in the short term, as you kind of navigate this pandemic and see where the money is, and and look, Keith and I talked about this last week. It is a depressed pay per view market, unquestionably. Like the the million buys just aren't there anymore. So, man, take the bird in the hand, like take the twenty million or whatever it is for this fight, and then go fight Golovkin, which is, will, like, as soon as Golovkin, you know, stops, you know, Camille Zarameta, like, his stock goes back up, you know, significantly. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of variables we don't know about and a lot of things that, that Canelo's kind of dealing with, but that makes the most short-term sense. Let, let me add to this, though, uh, Ryan Garcia into the mix, because Ryan was supposed to fight December 5th. That's not going to happen. Uh, I think it's more likely than not that he goes maybe on December 19th, you know, right there on that same day as Canelo's become the biggest boxing day uh, of the year. Um, what do you make of that? Like, if you're DAZN, do you, do you do that? Like, do you, I mean, on one hand, you want to do whatever Ryan Garcia wants. Like, Ryan Garcia is your, your future. Like, he is, you know, the guy you want to, and if he wants, and he's, I've talked to Ryan, we've texted in the last couple of days, like, he said, I'm going in, De- in December. Like, 2020's, basically not going to bleep me. Like, it's not, he's going to go in December. So if he wants to go, like, do you do it? Like, if Luke Campbell is ready to go on December 19th, Eddie Hearn says that he is, what do you do with that situation? Well, and there's a lot of different factors at play here, too. So I think Ryan Garcia is, he's definitely the future. Um, the question you have if you're zone, especially if you just look at the United States, um, I actually, and and let's let's start out with, what would have happened December 5th. So December 5th, I'm actually glad for Ryan Garcia. He's not going on December 5th because on December 5th, there's probably a lot of people in the United States whose subscriptions have lapsed to DAZN. And now you're asking them, you're asking hardcore boxing fans, not only to pay $99 or $20 a month to start back up your DAZN subscription. You're also, they're also probably going to buy the Spence Garcia fight on the same day. So that's like a, a $175 day for some people. I mean, that's like, that's a lot of money. So in some ways, I think it's, it's good for him that he's not going on December 5th. Now he wants to fight. So ultimately 
you're sitting there and you're you're doing that calculation of, of okay, if you're DAZN, how much does Ryan Garcia really matter? Like, was I know he does great numbers for DAZN, but was he doing great numbers from people who were subscribing for Canelo, who also would tune in to Ryan Garcia? Or is he going to do... And, and remember, Evan, he uh, some of his fights have been on Canelo's shows. So it's it's not there's there's not a way to apples and oranges it exactly like you're if if they're on if they're going if canelo and ryan garcia are going on different dates like you're gonna find out like how many people are gonna subscribe just for ryan garcia and is if you're disowned maybe you do want to find out and if you're ryan garcia you're certainly betting on yourself for this um you know i still think like if if i was disowned i would want a canelo fight and a ryan garcia fight and uh, you know to whether they still launch December 5th or whether they delay to launch uh, worldwide December 19th, what, whatever they do, if it's the, the the first fight or the second fight of that, it doesn't matter. I mean, you want Canelo to be part of your worldwide launch. Like, there's just unquestionably going to be way more subscribers who, who subscribe for that around the world. Like, th- there's just no denying it. I mean, he is your number one subscription driver at this point. Um, how important is Ryan Garcia? I mean... Ryan Garcia may be way more important from a value perspective because Ryan Garcia is not nearly as expensive as Canelo. So you may see a lot more value out of Ryan Garcia, but you're not going to see anywhere close to the total number of subscribers. And what is more important for you at this point if you're DAZN? Is it more important to find value in boxing or is it more important to do big-time boxing? I mean, based on their actions of the last, you know, basically since the start of the pandemic – they are probably looking for value. Um, that's, I mean, they, they've kind of said loud and clear that soccer is more important to them in terms of a worldwide uh, audience base than boxing. Um, but it's, uh, and, and, that, and that's something I know in the United States, it's difficult for people to think about it that way because they've, they've made such a strong push in boxing since they've entered the market in the United States. Um, but, I'm sure if they're not tethered to Canelo long term, they're fine. To, you know, making a twenty million dollar offer and taking the subscriber the subscriber gain you get from from that in the United States and around the world. I mean, I, that just makes too much sense to me not to do uh, for that kind of price. Like, you know, especially if you're spending four billion dollars on German soccer, you might as well spend twenty million dollars on Canelo and, and 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 gain as many subscribers from that as you can worldwide. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting when, if you're looking at December 19th as, and we don't know this to be true, but like if you're looking at that as the, the launch date of everything, it's an interesting setup, right? Because first of all, you'd, you'd have to do two shows, right? Like Canelo's not working with Golden Boy and Golden Boy's not loaning out Ryan Garcia for, for a show like that. So you'd have to do two shows on the same day or the same weekend. You could do it like 18th and 19th, whatever you want to do. Um, like, Given the matchups, it kind of works for the glo- for a global launch, at least the potential matchups, because you're already trying to gain whatever traction Luke Campbell has over in the UK. Now, if you do Canelo and Callum Smith, you're giving the British fans more bang for quite literally their buck. I mean, we're talking about like a you know, uh, you know, was it 199 to to subscribe? They're going for volume right off the bat uh, over in the UK. So that. That, there's, there's a lot of things this, that make sense. It doesn't mean it, it necessarily all comes together that way, but there are a lot of ways this makes sense. Well, that, that and, and I think the UK market for DAZN, I mean, you know, t- I mean, talk about setting the stage for next year in terms of, of what we're going to see. I mean, that, that market 
for DAZN, it's clearly you can gain a lot of subscribers there, probably way more than you can in the United States in terms of, of how boxing is viewed as a sport. And, you know, you're also setting, you know, Anthony Joshua goes fight by fight with his worldwide rights. And you're setting up this really interesting battle between DAZN and Sky for Anthony Joshua's future in the UK market. So the UK market at this point is just, you know, I mean, that's going to be a fun battleground. Uh, and, and maybe there are room, maybe there is room for two different uh, major boxing providers over there. But you're you should make serious gains in the UK market by doing a Luke Campbell, Ryan Garcia fight and then a Callum Smith, you know, Canelo fight in terms of who the UK fighters are, who they're fighting and what this means on a worldwide scale. I mean, you, you know, you can't you can't do better than that in terms of a one day subscriber game. No, I mean, what what a wild ride it's been the last couple of months, you know, with I think everything. Back. You can do better. You can do AJ and Fury. I'm I'm not actually it depends which one goes first. If you already have a huge uh, uh subscriber base, you know, it's only going to expand from from from, you know, AJ and Fury. That's obviously a whole different subject. Uh but yeah. that's, you know, you're looking at several potential major events for UK fighters in the next 12 months. Um, and, and, and that would be, you know, the, it's all there for the taking if, if they want it, if DAZN wants it. You, you, know, the only, you know, the only thing that worries me, Evan, is that I, maybe there are things in the works, but as of right now, I don't know what January looks like. And they've run into this problem Eddie has and Golden Boy has at times where you have a great month, but then nothing to promote the next month. And you don't, you don't want the $20 guy. You want the $100 guy. That's been their plan all along. So, you know, you don't really have a choice in the case. Like Ryan says, I'm going, you're doing it. Canelo says, I'm going, you're doing it. Um, you know, Golovkin, I guess, maybe there's some flexibility there, but I think he wants to get out for the end of the year too. Like, I'm not sure what that fight is that you're pointing towards in January to that you that on all these broadcasts say here comes you know stick around in January for blah 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 like whoever it is you know it's 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 tough to see right now maybe there's a plan in the works I just don't see it at the moment yeah I mean I think I think what you can do you know you probably need to treat it more like a season you know where and I think yeah. they did a great job of this um, last fall where it's like okay they, they you know they called it fight season in the United States and I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a season but. Uh, like a, but to think about it like a league season. I mean, no one thinks twice about not paying. You know, had this been the setup for English Premier League, which goes eight or nine months out of the year, no one would think twice about not paying for it in the three months they're off, um, mm-hmm. even if there is no content. And so, I think you probably can do it instead of thinking about it month by month. Um, you probably need to do a little bit of training the consumer to think. Hey, this is a six or nine week period where we're going to have a lot of great upcoming fights, and then there'll be a little bit of a break, and then maybe we'll come back and 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 and, and do some more fights. Um, but it's that continuity. And look, this is something to tie all this together. Like this is part of the reason why boxing is not sponsor friendly because sponsors like to know twelve months in advance or fifteen months in advance or you know or nine months in advance that there is going to be a major event. And the only two times in boxing that you can really point to that, at least in, in the United States, is you know Cinco de Mayo weekend and Mexican Independence Day weekend, traditionally there's going to be a big pay-per-view fight. And that is helpful for sponsors, and, and that is why you know those pay-per-view events can typically attract sponsors. 
Um, but you know, that's, that's part of it, kind of having that continuity. And I think thinking about it that way, um, is what is the approach that I would take certainly if I was in that position. I read talking about there's, there's never no content on DAZN. There's jabs with Maddox and Mora three times a week. There's this show twice a week. I, I don't want to fucking see Evan jabs with Campbell and Papa on NBC, man. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't know. It's as branded, my friend. That is branded by Chris Maddox and Sergio Mora. Uh, Evan, good luck. November 19th, that fight can be seen on NBC Sports Network, Ring City. Uh, makes its debut. Uh, looking forward to it, Evan. I'll be a viewer, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up out there uh, sometime soon. Okay, thanks. When we come back, my conversation with Katie Taylor. So Katie Taylor is the undisputed women's lightweight champion. She defended those titles in August in a rematch with Delphine Persone. She will defend them again on Saturday when she headlines a triple header of women's world title fights against Miriam Gutierrez. That's a card you can watch in the U.S. on DAZN. And Katie joins me on the show. Katie, let's start right there. It was less than three months ago. You were in a tough fight with Delphine Persone. Why come back so quickly? There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And... That's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royals. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, I just wanted to get another fight, obviously, before Christmas, and and this day was available, and I was very, very happy to, to take the fight. I didn't think I, I took too many heavy shots in the last fight, thankfully, so I felt like I, it was a, it was a good time for me to to take this fight, and um, I'm just feeling ready. I, I was I would actually fight every month if I could, <laughs> but um, obviously, uh, I I'm not allowed to do that. So, uh, but yeah, it is definitely a quick turnover. But I feel ready and, and I'm excited to step back in and, and defend my titles again on Saturday night. You fought now 20 rounds with Delphine Persson. Were the was the second fight more physical than the first? Less? How did you feel coming out of that fight? Um, I definitely felt like it was def- it was a more convincing win. The second fight, uh, obviously, the first fight was was very very close. Uh, some people thought she had won the first fight, um, and some people thought I, I had won. So it was controversial in a way. So the second fight was definitely a lot more convincing, and I, I cleared a lot, a lot of doubt from people's minds. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's never going to be an easy lie against uh, Delphine Persuasion. She's very awkward, very physical, but I felt good coming out of the ring and. Um, I came out fairly unscathed. Did you, was that important to you to get that clear cut victory? I mean, I don't think anybody, it was a close fight the first time. I mean, one of those could have gone either ways, but it was important to you to get that kind of definitive win like you got in the second fight? Yeah, definitely. I hate, I hate the fact that a lot of people thought she had won the first fight. Um, I hate the fact that was a, that was controversial and that people were called the first fight robbery and, and stuff like that. It was, uh, I thought that the word robbery was was definitely a bit unfair, um, but yeah, I, I was I knew straight away that there was there was going to be a rematch, and I was very much looking forward to that rematch all along, just to uh, get a dominant dominant victory really, and then to clear everyone's minds. Yeah, definitely not a robbery. Close fight. You certainly uh, made it less close the second time around. Um, this is your second fight in the middle of a pandemic. Have you gotten used to pandemic training at this point? Yeah, I mean, life hasn't changed too much for me, to be quite honest. Um, I'm obviously not a party girl <laughs> or anything, so uh, I, I, I'm, I was just very much focused on my training over these last few months. And obviously, it's a bit more trickier to get sparring partners and stuff like that, but it is, it is the same for everyone. And um, I just use the pandemic as a, um, as a way just to, just to get stronger and just to improve on a few things. It just, I was just pretty much staying focused on on my training all along. So um, I turned it into a positive, I suppose. It has been a crazy year, a very frustrating year for a lot of people, but um, thankfully life hasn't changed too much for me. That's surprising, Katie. I, I always pegged you as a party girl. I thought yeah, that was... Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. That was it. Uh, <laughs> it is, is the sparring the biggest difference? You know, trying to find sparring partners, do it safely. Is that the biggest change you've had to adjust to? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the gym was obviously closed for, for a number of weeks uh, during the pandemic, but uh, thankfully I, ha- I have a garage gym at home where I was able to kind of work still uh, keep fit and work out. But yeah, I guess uh, the spars are, are, are a bit trickier to, to get right now. But as I said, it, it is the same for everyone. We have I have had great spars over these last few months. People have made have made themselves available, and um, I'm, I'm I'm very very grateful for that. So you were going back and forth between the UK and the US during this time because you you make your home base right in Connecticut, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, I was uh, home in Ireland after the last fight for a few weeks and then I went straight back to Connecticut to start training for this fight. So I didn't get too much time at home uh, just because (laughs) there was a quick turnover. Um, But I'm always very, very happy to, to go into training camp and 
and to get ready for big fight after big fight is an absolute dream for me and um you know that's what i want i want to be involved in big fights i want to uh, be an active fighter and i want to be involved in fights that, that people are really genuinely interested in this is obviously part of my legacy and part of my journey so i'm very very happy to step in against the big fighters at any stage you've been a pro for four years now um mm -hmm. is this how you hoped your career would go you're the undisputed 135 you got a title at 140 as well is this what you hoped it would be after turning pro after rio yeah, I think the journey has been even more than, than I could have expected, to be quite honest. Um, you know, here we are headlining the big show on, on, on Saturday evening. Uh, it's a triple header of, of world title fights, uh, female world title fights, which is incredible. I never thought I would see the day where there would be three world, uh, female world title fights on the same card when I actually started uh, as a pro four years ago. So uh, women's boxing is on fire right now. Um, over the last four years, it's, it's grown and grown and grown, and uh, please God, that, that will continue. Mm -hmm. um, but it has been an amazing journey. I'm getting a chance to showcase my talents on the biggest stages of all, uh, which is an absolute dream. Yeah, certainly a historic event, this, uh, mm -hmm. this show on Saturday. I, I love the story, going back to 2016, of you direct messaging Eddie Hearn. One of my favorite stories <laughs> about you, especially because, like, you know, you were a big star, you know, in the UK and Ireland coming out of the Olympics, decorate Olympian. It's almost like if Eddie Hearn hadn't heard of you, I would have been disappointed. Yeah. But but you just, you really, you really wanted to work with him at that time. I did. I, I look back in that message and I'm really embarrassed at how forward it was. <laughs> hey, Eddie, can you please sign me? Um, well, that, that's what that's what Anthony Joshua did too, right? He sent sent the same message. Oh, really? Right? Well, that, that, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were trying to make me feel better there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know it was a very very forward message, and I'm a very quiet person, so for me to actually send that message, uh, you know, took a lot. But um, I, I knew at that stage I wanted to turn pro and. I knew that Eddie Hearn was the right man to go with. He was obviously the biggest promoter in the UK and one of the biggest in the world right now. And um, thankfully, he he, uh, he replied to that message. And here we are four years later. It's been an amazing journey. So you are the, the money woman, for lack of a better phrase, in your weight class, uh, which means you can basically decide you know, who you want to fight or at least have a lot of control over who you want to fight. So I want to gauge your interest. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, let's maybe, uh, you, you have a lot of power in these, in these yeah. negotiations. Let's put it that way. You have a lot of power in these discussions. Uh, I want to gauge your interest, though, in some of the fights people talk about you being in. I want to do it this way. I'm going to name an opponent, and you tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 how interested you are in that fight. One being not interested at all, and 10 being you're badly interested in that yeah, fight. And I, can, I can stop you right now. They're, they're all going to be a number 10, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let me run I'm, through I'm them. I'm very <laughs> interested in, in every name you, you put out there. <laughs> all right, let, let's start. And you can tell me why then. Let, let's start with Amanda Serrano, who you've been circling for the last couple of years. Yeah, obviously, that's a, a huge number 10 for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, that's, that's a mega fight in women's boxing. Um, I the fight was obviously scheduled uh, a number of times this year, but um, the fight hasn't happened not because of me. It, it, she has pulled out a couple of times, but that's a fight that everyone would love to see. I think she's obviously a, a seven way world champion. I have a, a huge respect for Amanda Serrano. She's a great fighter, and that's why I want this fight um, to happen so much. It's going to be a mega fight when it does happen. It, it will be huge, and 
I, I want to get your take on this. One of the stranger moments I saw was your first fight, I think, on DAZN was in Boston when you beat Cindy Serrano. And mm. Cindy Serrano's husband, who's also the trainer for Cindy and Amanda, yeah. gets in the ring and basically says you fought the wrong Serrano. Like, what was your reaction to that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was very, very strange. I mean, um, does, does he realize he's... Uh, He's talking about his wife there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, but here we are a, a couple of years later and the fight still hasn't happened. And, and as I said, it's not because of me. I really want to fight. They've pulled out a couple of times, but hopefully that can fight happen. Uh, that fight can happen um, sometime in the future. All right, the second one is Chris Cyborg, the MMA star who's been talked about as a boxing opponent for you. Yeah, uh, that's also number 10, as I said. I, 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 whatever name you put out there, I'm very, very happy to fight. Um, that's uh, obviously, she's obviously one of the biggest stars in MMA. And uh, I'd imagine if the fight did happen, that that would be a, a, at some sort of a catch weight. Um, I just hope that, that uh, the fight isn't going to happen in the cage and it is going to happen in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very happy to, to fight Chris Cyborg if that's, if that's a fight that people are interested in seeing. All right, the other one is one that we thought you were going to be in at some point this year, and that's the winner of the Cecilia Bracus-Jessica McCaskill fight. If Bracus had won, there was a lot of talk about you fighting her. They're going to have a rematch at mm-hmm. some point. Are you still interested in either Bracus or even McCaskill if she comes out in a rematch uh, of that fight? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I obviously fought Jess McCaskill a few years ago. Um, and Cecilia Brackers has been the number one pound for pound fire for a number of years now. Um, she's an amazing ambassador for, for women's boxing, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both those girls are fantastic. And I'd be very, very happy and willing to, to fight either one of those girls. Okay, I've got one more for you. And I, I, this might not be a 10, but I'm going to give you one more. And that's Clarissa Shields, who has... Yeah said many times to me and others uh, that she would get down to 147 to fight you. I know you're, you know, you only, Eddie Hearn told me once, you only rehydrate to like 138. So that's a, that's a big weight. So what about Clarissa Shields? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a dream fight for everyone, isn't it? Um, mm. Clarissa Shields against herself to, um, you know, a lot of people have heard the number one pound for pound. And then I think a, num- a number of people have me as well. So that's, that's a fight that everyone um, always dreams about. Um, who knows what, what can happen in the future? As I said, uh, it would have to be uh, some sort of a catch weight as well because I can't, I can't go, go up, to, uh, up too heavy, really. But who knows what can happen in the future? Is 147 too heavy for you? Yeah, I mean, I walk around at maybe 142-ish mm. uh, pounds, so um, I, I definitely couldn't go heavier than 147. Mm. Um, but I, I, I would be willing to fight at 147, that's for sure, yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that you were saying, you went back to Ireland after your last fight. Do you hope to some at some point fight as a pro in Ireland? You've been going in the UK and in, in the US, but you're a huge star in Ireland, you know, coming off all the Olympic experience. Yeah, I'd absolutely love that. Um, I think it would be an awful shame if I went through my whole career without fighting in Ireland at some stage. Um, obviously, my fights have been in the UK and the, and the US, like I said, over the, over the last number of years. So uh, to have a huge fight in Ireland uh, with a packed stadium, that would be an absolute dream for me. Um, yeah, please, God, that, that can happen real soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, up first, Miriam Gutierrez, that fight in the UK on DAZN. Uh, Katie, good luck. It's always fun to see you in action. Yeah, you have a lot of fans in the US, and, and we like yeah. seeing you. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Great talking to you.
Katie, one other thing, if you don't, if you don't mind. Um, so I, I train at this boxing gym in Massachusetts, just up the street from Connecticut. Oh, I, and okay. you, you have, the, I train with a bunch of women who are huge fans of yours. Like, and they, they're oh. enormous Katie fans. And they know who yeah. I am. They know who I do the, uh, your fights. Yeah. Could, you, could you just say like, the, the place is called TMX Boxing. T, is it yeah. Tom, Mary X? Could you say like, uh, shout out to all the women at TMX Boxing. Thanks for your support. I hope you watch my fight on DAZN on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, hi, everyone at TMX Box. And uh, thank you so much for all your support. And um, I hope to get down someday to actually do a training session with you guys some, someday. Um, but thank you so much for all your support. And I hope you guys will be watching on Saturday evening. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Perfect. Sorry. Thank you, Katie. That was, that was great. Yeah, they, no they, they love you there. They love you. They're huge. We'll, we'll huge have fans. to get a training session. We'll have to get a training session together sometime. I think, all the girls. I, think, I think one of the women, like one of the women has a friend that actually went down to Connecticut to spar with you um, a couple of weeks back. Oh, I was at, that was just recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. The girl's name was Emily, was it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. So one of her friends yeah. that was in the gym was saying to me, she's like, you think Katie will let me just show up? I'm like, probably not. It's COVID-19 stuff. And, you know, maybe, maybe keep your distance this time around. <laughs> maybe someday. <laughs> you got it. Well, thank you, Katie. Thanks all, Chris. Take care. Bye. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.